The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Immediately he, Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When the evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed a strong wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You have little faith. Why do you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Uh, this is uh, Deacon Frank Sanders, uh, everybody. Uh, for those of you who know him and love him, he needs no introduction. Frank has been here serving um, Christ the King longer than I have and uh, in serving the church and the Lord for a great long time before that. Uh, Frank has been uh, serving the church as a deacon, and one of the beautiful gifts of a deacon is that they are meant to uh, take the gospel, the good news of Jesus, you know, into the world. And so they serve at tables, and one of the reasons uh, in the church, in worship, that in the Anglican tradition anyway, uh, deacons read the gospel um, from the center of the congregation. So they take the gospel book, they come to the center of the church, and they proclaim the gospel there as a way of reminding both themselves and the church that the role of those who serve Jesus is to, like, you know, take this thing into the world. And so it's a beautiful affirmation of that calling um, and a of Frank's ministry. Uh, we wanted to, you know, in the spirit of learning, uh, learn that and be reminded of that for, uh, together today. Frank's also made a difficult decision uh, to step down as being a deacon so that he can walk alongside uh, his wife in this uh, next chapter of their life together. And um, so we are both sort of brokenhearted about that and also um, deeply supportive of your decision and above all, so thankful for who you are and who you have been, both to this church and to the church with a capital C. Um, I met Frank and got to um, many, about a year ago now, hear a bit of his life story, which there's too much ever to begin to tell in a time uh, like this, but it, I do and will always remember him saying, um, that when he was in, entering into early adulthood, he uh, left the church to follow Dr. King to Mississippi to be a part of the civil rights movement, um, became a lawyer, and spent his, much of his early years, adult years, uh, serving in the way of justice. And then uh, came to faith uh, through his wife, Susan, uh, later in adulthood. So what a beautiful gift that now, in a sort of full circle way, um, you know, she can lead you uh, again. And I believe into greater and greater intimacy with the Lord, just in a different way. Um, you have something you'd like to say? I do. I do. You called us an old remnant Indeed. a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> so I want to personally I think respond. I said remnant, Frank. I don't know if I said old remnant. I didn't say remnant. I heard old, oh. but that's okay. <laughs> I am a remnant. And uh, when I joined this church, 
I'm, it was just a different day. And it's part of the history of this church. And if we are a remnant, the people sewing the quilt were Nicholas and Angela, Sam. They just held this together when we're meeting in parks and the prayer room and to hold it together for a decade. And the other person I'd like to thank is, is my fellow deacon, Jamie. And when I told Jamie I was interested in becoming licensed in this diocese, he gave me encouragement. He, was, he, he warmly received me and shared part of the responsibilities with him. He preceded me here. Jamie was somebody I could high-five with when 25 people showed up. <laughs> and I think 25 people here are thinking they're in the Adventist service. I mean, people just come by mistake. That many people come by mistake. But it was a beautiful time. But I got to say, I really like the new one, the new one that's here. Getting to come every Sunday and hear Ashley preach the Holy Word is just so inspiring. I hear a different version, a different seeing of the, of the Old Testament, New Testament as she preaches. It's just wonderful. I don't know how anybody that's sitting in the congregation can resist Jesus. Mm -hmm. and the other thing she's done is to do the Great Commission as Jesus did. Before he sent him to heaven, he gave us a Great Commission. I know no one that preaches better or does a Great Commission better than Ashley. I would like to encourage some of you, if you're interested in becoming a deacon, like Jamie and I, you talk to us about it. It's very worthy. It happened in the first century of the church when the uh, Hellenistic Jews went to the Jerusalem Council. That means Peter and Jesus' brother James. And they said, we need somebody to feed the women and children, take care of them. And they called the deacons. And they called seven of them together, led by uh, Stephen, who was the first uh, person sacrificed in the name of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to do it, but I do want to say, and just shout out to spices, spouses. Oh, spices too, yeah. spouses. <laughs> <laughs> and that Susan walked with me through my entire, I've been a deacon for 11 years now, and Susan was by my side every step of the way. Uh -huh. If you want to become a part of the clergy, talk to your spouse about it. Uh -huh. I mean, Josh is a great example. Ashley could not do what she does without the support of Josh. I mean, he got in a car and drove halfway across the nation to support <laughs> Ashley in this. And the other people here, the, the worship leader, the, uh, Isaiah and Chris, their spouses are behind it. So look at becoming a deacon. It's, I think it's, a, and I'm going to say this, we are not Christ-like, but I think it's the most Christ-like work within the church. We are foot washers. You know, the whole world turned upside with Jesus, turned, up, turned upside down. Foot washers are the most exalted. So thank you, Ashley. It's just a privilege to be here with you and to be part of this congregation. Susan, I certainly intend to continue, even though some of our life choices are changing at this time. Thank you, Can Ashley. Can we pray for you, Frank? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Bless you, Father. Uh, Lord, we love you, and we thank you, God, for your gifts, um, all of them. So good for the gift of uh, who you are, Jesus, who you are to us. And this morning, Lord, we give you thanks for Frank and for his calling. Uh, and we ask you now, Holy Spirit, that you would strengthen his hands and his feet, his heart and his mind, uh, Lord, for the journey ahead and the serving ahead, Lord. Will you equip him, Holy Spirit? Will you lead him and guide him, Lord? He and Susan together. In this next season, we pray, Lord, that it would be um, full of you, Lord, just as the previous ones have been. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We love you. Love, love you. Love you. Love you. All right. 
Uh, thank you all for bearing with this morning as we shift gears. We're going to uh, spend time in Matthew's gospel and look at this uh, beautiful story of Jesus walking on the water. Before we do, though, I want to make sure that we take a minute to acknowledge um, something really important happening in the life of our church, an upcoming shift. Uh, we are going to be shifting to two morning services starting on the 10th of September. Uh, so for those of you who have braved the parking lot and for those of you who have small kids who are currently braving the rooms in the back... <laughs> Um, praise God. We've all been uh, journeying together, and we feel very thankful and extraordinarily excited about the upcoming season of life of this church. We also uh, need more space. We want to create space for um, all of you because one of our core commitments in this church has long been, since before I came, uh, a kind of attentive hospitality that people would have the chance to like look you in the face and um, see you as a person and come to know you and make sure that you feel at home here. And so that's what we want as we step into what it is that we believe that God has for us. If you're curious about what that is, how we're understanding our life together, who we believe we're being called to be, why God has us here, please come to the members meeting on August 20th. We're going to be talking about the vision of the church, where we're headed, um, all the stuff that we just don't have space on a Sunday to say. But that will be August 20th uh, at 4.30 p.m. here at the church. And then the 10th, we're going to two services, 9 and 11 a.m. So um, you'll be hearing more details about that in the weeks to come. But same service, just two different times. We will have child care at both, all of that. Um, but mark your calendars. We also will not be having services on the 3rd. So Labor Day weekend, we're going to let the ground lie fallow, as they say. Um, and that's both to like give a rest where rest is needed, but also to initiate a new rhythm starting on the 10th. We'll just like take a break, let the ground lie fallow for a bit, and then um, start a new rhythm on the 10th. So we're excited about what's happening and where things are going and would love to talk more about that. But we have the gospel to attend to this morning um, in Matthew. And so I'm going to pray for us and then I will sit with the words of Jesus. Uh, Lord, we, we ask you now, Holy Spirit, to settle us, Lord, to give us a kind of grace, a supernatural peace, Lord, that we do not have access to on our own. We look to you, Lord, you who, you who builds time and space and walks on water. You are the giver of peace and comfort and challenge. And so we look to you, Lord God. Say what needs to be said, Lord, do what you want to do. It's in your name we pray these things, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, I need my notes, babe. Just in case, you know. Uh, so the last few weeks we've been talking about uh, the kingdom of heaven we shifted gears out of the Old Testament, and if you've been here, we started off um, talking about the kingdom of heaven with the parables of Jesus. Jesus basically trying to explain to people what the kingdom of heaven is like, and he did it by saying things that um, weren't terribly straightforward, if I'm honest. Uh, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like, it's like a seed that becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can rest in its branches. Okay. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like, it's like, if you were in a field and you found treasure and then you decided to hide it again and then go and sell everything you had and buy the field out of your abundant joy. The kingdom of heaven's like that. Okay. <laughs> and then the next week we talked about Chris preached from the transfiguration. Last Sunday, if you were here, we heard the story of Jesus going up on the mountain and uh, suddenly he begins to shine like the sun standing with Peter, James, and John 
uh, on this mountain, and they have this like out of time and space experience with Elijah and Moses. Time bends and Jesus shines. What a glorious, incredible moment. And then this week, here he comes walking on the waves. And what I want to say to you is all of these moments in Matthew's gospel, from Jesus teaching parables about the kingdom of heaven to shining like the sun to walking on the waves, all of those stories are connected. They have an intimate relation to one another, and that is their purpose. Their aim is in the same direction, which is to say to us, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like the seed that becomes a tree that the birds can rest in. It's like the shining face of God suddenly catching you off guard. And it's like God coming to you walking on the waves. The kingdom of heaven is, is like this. In other words, um, God is here. God is doing things. So when Jesus shows up and he begins to preach the kingdom, preach about the gospel of the kingdom, the good news, um, Jesus begins by saying, repent. That's how he begins his sermons an invitation into repentance. And I think that is really critically important for, again, how we think about the shining face of God and how we think about Jesus walking on the water. And that's what I would like for us to think about in the few moments that we have together this morning. What does repentance have to do with any of those things? Repentance, of course, means a lot of things to a lot of different people. You've no doubt heard a number of different definitions for it. But for myself, most simply, it's important to help my own ears hear and understand what Jesus was saying is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus was saying, hey, you need to make a turn. You need to turn into something God is doing. God is here, and you need to turn into it. And that may mean turn away from what you're doing, or pivot, or shift, however you want to think about it. Maybe you need to say you're sorry for something. But you need to make a shift. We hear repentance and we immediately think about, okay, what we're meant to do is say we're sorry for the things we've done because God is coming, and that's not wrong. Actually, that's, there's something very true about that. And yet what we miss is like, what is it really, though, that Jesus was saying? Can we think about repentance as a way of turning out of something one way and turning into something else? And what in God's name are we turning into? Why would I say that I'm sorry for my arrogance? Why would I apologize for exploiting people? Why would I turn the other cheek? What does any of that have to do? Just because God says so, is that why? Here's what I think we miss sometimes. The thing that Jesus was inviting us to turn into was the rule and reign of God. A life lived with God in which God is given the ultimate authority that he's meant to have, and his love, his way of being in the world, is at work, doing the things that he wants to do. Jesus was saying, turn out of one way of living, in other words, and turn into another way of living, a with God life, a kind of life that is here and now and available to you through me. And it, that helps me if I think about repentance because otherwise we connect repentance to religion and Jesus becomes a really like sort of lovely moral exemplar. He was just going around sort of, you know, telling people how to behave, helping us all become better people and that's all well and fine and good. But y'all, if that's all he ever is, I'm just going to say he becomes one of a whole string of people, including Oprah and Gandhi and everybody else who exists in the world to help us be better versions of ourselves. And I love Oprah and I love Gandhi. I'm not, no shade. But the question is, what about Jesus? 
What about Jesus? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. What is the good news? And if you were to ask Jesus, he would say, the good news is that God is here. The promises, I said this a few weeks ago, and Chris said it again last week, God is fulfilling his promises to the world. He is going to make good on that which he has been committed to for a very long time, and he's doing it through Jesus. Don't miss it. Turn out of one way of life in which Jesus only exists in this small corner, or God is allowed to have this much of your life, and turn into a life in which God is all in all, is the words of the New Testament, which you can live into the rule and reign of God. And that has a lot more to do with your life than just your behavior, right and wrong choices. It is that. It's just also, y'all, so much more than that. Before we talk about Jesus walking on the water, we have to back up a little bit or we're going to miss what's happening. And worse, I think we'll reduce this into some kind of like Marvel moment, you know? It's like Jesus is just out there, you know, he comes down, you know, and it's just like over here, he's like, you know, glowing and now he's zooming over the, it's just, there's more going on than that. We have to back up a little bit to understand, to humanize it, to make it real. Because that glorious moment comes on the heels of and is connected to a far less glorious moment in the life of Jesus. Actually, arguably one of the darkest moments of Jesus' life. Matthew tells us um, just up, if you back up in the verses just a bit, John the Baptist has just died. And Matthew tells us that um, after John's disciples went and buried the body, then they went uh, to tell Jesus. I don't know how Jesus felt, and we don't have time to get into how much Jesus loved John and why. But I know that he was heartbroken. Matthew doesn't have to tell me that. John was his cousin. He loved him. They shared something at that point that no other two people in the world knew and had together. John was the only other human that Jesus could look at in the eyes and say, you get it though, right? And that's why John was so heartbroken when he was in prison and he didn't understand why Jesus wasn't, you know, like getting on with it <laughs> and making it happen. Because we get it. And then John's disciples have to come and tell Jesus that he's died. And Matthew says it this way. Matthew says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Um, a God of all creation had to take a minute to be with God, to pray. And Matthew doesn't have to tell me so for me to know that Jesus went in search of a solitary place carrying his grief and his anger at what had happened to John. If you only know of Jesus in a kind of Marvel way, well, your immediate response is, well, he could have saved him. Why didn't he save him? Exactly. Can you imagine if you were the one who could save him and you couldn't or you didn't? However it played out, how much more complicated your grief would be? And so all of that impossible grief, Jesus takes in private, desperate to be with God. <laughs> and we went looking for him. Matthew tells us that the crowds followed him. 
And I don't know about you, but when I am desperate to be alone, like when I go to the bathroom and triple lock my bathroom so that I can just have a minute (laughs) before little fingers come and find me under there or I hear them knocking at the door. This is a different version than that even. He gets there and then he sees them coming, you know. And I would have said, I'm on a break. (laughs) Somebody put up a sign. God needs a minute. Time out for just a second. Go home. We will resume services on Monday. But that's not what happens. They come, thousands of them, and he feeds them because that's what he does takes this little boy's bread and his fish and he turns it into a feast. And after he feeds them, he's still desperate to pray. And so he sends them home and he sends the disciples home and he says, I'm going to go back to praying now. Y'all go on. They get in their boat. A storm comes. A storm blows them out into sea. Jesus is up in the mountain praying. And at some point, before dawn, Matthew tells us, Jesus comes walking to them on the water. Here's the thing that I want to say about this that has continued in my own life with God to reorient the way that I think about and understand prayer connected to the kingdom of heaven and what it is. I know that I know that what Jesus needed was access to God to a kind of supernatural comfort and peace to help him reorient and make sense of his pain and to help him go and be the person he knew he was called to be. Anybody ever been there? Can you hear me? Do you know what that feels like? What Jesus was doing in prayer was not out of duty or obligation. He was hurting and he had to take it somewhere. His understanding was frustrated and he needed explanation. He needed insight from God. He needed the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And the way that the people of God access those things is through prayer by the Holy Spirit. So he had to pray. It wasn't duty or obligation. It wasn't quiet time. I have to be reoriented into the kingdom of heaven. And here's what I know happens when Jesus prays, because it's not just when Jesus prays. When Jesus prayed, and I'm going to need you, church, to lean in with me for a second, and let's think big thoughts together. When Jesus went to pray, he was accessing a reality through the Holy Spirit that is a different reality than the one we occupy just day in and day out, all the time otherwise. Are you with me? By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus had access to, and I'm going to use what sounds like a get a marvel sci-fi word, but it's to, just so we can think deep thoughts together. Jesus is accessing a realm of existence a reality through the Holy Spirit that provides him with supernatural insight and comfort and the ability to walk on water, apparently. Do you hear what I'm saying? 
Jesus is tapping into a different kind of reality, a not less real, but a more real, a more solid kind of existence through prayer and by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is good news. So when Jesus comes walking on the water towards the disciples and you hear the words, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, it's not just about evangelism. God is saying, what if you had access to a power, the power of heaven, the life of heaven that could make you a person of love, could make you a person of peace? What if you had access to that and you took that good news to people and sometimes every now and again it just lifted you up? over the waves, over the storm, over everything that's hard. What if that was available to you? Jesus was preaching the gospel walking on those waves to the disciples. You have access to something through the Holy Spirit, through the kingdom of heaven, that lifts you up above the storm and above the waves. And if we have forgotten that, then it is time for the Lord through this story that no doubt we've heard a hundred times to remind us that is why we pray, y'all. It is to be reoriented towards the kingdom of heaven, towards the most real thing, the truest thing there is. John called it eternal life. A different kind of existence, an existence that isn't fraught with death that isn't dying and therefore weakened, an existence that isn't beleaguered by sin, but it's made solid with holiness and glory. C.S. Lewis is so brilliant for a million reasons, but in The Great Divorce, do you remember the story that he tells about heaven? In heaven, according to C.S. Lewis, this is so genius and how, you know, it's such a comfort to me because I hear him tell these stories and I'm like, that is a man who knows my Lord, who gets it. C.S. Lewis tells a story about being in heaven and even the blades of grass are solid enough to cut the feet of those who are less solid. In other words, the weight of glory is substance. Life with Jesus is about substance. It's not just about the good that you do or the bad that you don't do. That's a fine starter imagination for you, but y'all, we've got to grow up. Past that, the invitation into the kingdom of heaven is to grow up, is to be people of substance who think deep thoughts and live deep lives. That's the gospel. That's the good news that the world needs, is for you to be solid enough to withstand it. To every now and then, no matter what comes your way, to be able to turn to God and say, I need you, Lord, to help me, to lift me up above this. Jesus had access to a different kind of life, a new creation, and that's what we get to be a part of. It's trippy, though. That's trippy. And some of you are sitting there thinking, I knew it. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. Come to this church with the lady priest, and she's going to start talking about dimensions of reality, and I'm going to be out. I just want this story to remind you. I want you to hear and know when you read it that God is the most true thing. There is a creator of space and time and matter. Those things are the origins. They are the creation of the same beautiful mind. And he holds them in his hands and he bends them when he wills. 
And I can say that to you as a person who deeply appreciates things that are real. This is not an invitation into a sci-fi movie, but it is an invitation into a deeper and truer kind of existence, into real life, abundant life, Jesus called it, life to the full. The question, and here's the most beautiful thing, is not about, you know, okay, well, if the kingdom of heaven is all around us and, you know, there's this plane of existence in which I could just, like, hop up on it and cruise on the waves. It's pretty sick. like to do that. Where is it? How do I get to it? And what's beautiful to me about the Bible is that the way that the Bible talks about the kingdom of heaven is not as a what or a where or a place, but the kingdom of heaven is a person. Yes? How do you access the kingdom of heaven? It's not by taking a little red pill or a little blue pill. It's not by learning a secret Bible code. It's not by learning Hebrew or Greek or listening to that super cool podcast that everybody else hasn't heard of yet, you know, but you know it. You don't have to don a prayer shawl. You don't have to switch religions. You don't have to be Anglican. None of that. The Bible says, if you want to live into and experience the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven has come to you and is available to you through, ah, the person of Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. It's him. What a beautiful, beautiful invitation. Peter got to learn what it is like to walk on the waves, not because he learned a secret code, not because he learned a new language, but because he dared to step towards Jesus. And all of a sudden, he found that which was under his feet to be the most solid thing. Yeah? Moving towards Jesus. And every single one of us can do that. I don't care where you're from or your tradition or your background or what you did or who you are or how much money you have or don't have. You don't have to have degrees or go to seminary or any of those things. The good news of the gospel is that God has come close, has made himself available to every person through Jesus. That's who he is to us. What a beautiful gift. Rosemary and I, I don't know if she's here, um, but we were having coffee the other morning and uh, we were talking about Martha and Mary. And in short, if you remember the story, Martha's the one who cleans. Mary's the one who goes and sits at the feet of Jesus. Do we remember this story? If you don't, it's fine. You can, it's a deep cut, look at it later. But there are these two women one of them is, you know, they're having a party and Jesus is there and she's preoccupied with cleaning and Mary, the other one, is learning the way of a disciple and so she goes and sits with the guys in the room with Jesus as he teaches. And Martha's frustrated because, you know, help me here. And Jesus looks at Martha and he says, um, Mary has chosen the better portion. Do you remember? This is not a story, and Rosemary and I talked about this, and it's just sat with me ever since. Because what did he mean? Mary's chosen what's better. I don't think that that's an invitation to just, you know, forego all of our life's responsibilities so that we can just sit and learn more stuff at the feet of Jesus. It's more than that. I think what Jesus was saying is, Martha, because I'm here, Mary knows that all things have been made new. All things. All of it. 
You have access through me to a different kind of life, a life in which women can be disciples and the poor are not ostracized because of what they don't have and the, the blind can see and the sick are healed. You have access to a new kind of life, a more real life. And that's what Mary has chosen. She's chosen that and it's better. It's better. So I wonder if the invitation for us isn't like, what is better look like for you? If Jesus were to say, I want you to come, be with me, pray, ask God to lead you into the ways of the kingdom of heaven to help you see it and hear it and know it, what would that look like for you? What would that a version of walking on the waves, and please hear me, I am not suggesting for one second that we should all go out to Beaver Lake and just give it a shot. Please, please do not walk away from here saying, you know, I went to church this morning and that lady said we could just walk on water. <laughs> I don't put limits on who he is and what he will do anymore. I've been with him too long. Life is real. The limits of life are real. Death is real. John died. Lazarus died. Jesus grieved those losses. He also took that grief and that frustration and all that pain, and he took it to God, and God provided him with supernatural comfort, and every now and then with the ability to do supernatural things. And what a beautiful invitation that is to me and you. What if we just held our hands open and said, I choose what's better? Whatever that means, whatever that looks like, I want to choose what's better today. And maybe that would be enough. Yeah. Lord, help us, Holy Spirit. Give us eyes to see, Lord, ears to hear. I specifically, Lord, want to pray over those, God, who need to repent. Those of us who need to turn Jesus toward you. Whatever that looks like. Would you lead us, Lord? Would you help us, Holy Spirit, to forgive where we are in need of forgiveness? To confess, Lord, where we are in need of confession. To change, Lord, whatever needs to be changed. Help us, Holy Spirit. Have mercy, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.